You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. I'm going to be in 2 Timothy. If you have a Bible or your phone, you can start flipping to 2 Timothy as I lead off a little bit here. But in my opinion, we don't hear enough about discipleship either from the pulpit or you're listening to the Christian radio station, I'd love to hear more about discipleship in that when I go through the Word of God, all 66 books, it is in there throughout, no two ways about it. Uh, And I think if we really understand the Great Commission, Christ's Great Commission, we're a bit remiss if we don't recognize that part of that is discipleship or, as Paul says, guarding the gospel deposit that we have. Today, I want to focus on the relationship between Paul and Timothy that we'll see in 2 Timothy. In my opinion, it is by far the best example, living, breathing example of discipleship that there is. Uh, Paul is passing on his God-given wisdom to his beloved son and protege in the Lord Timothy. It's such a beautiful relationship. If you get a chance, sometimes study just their relationship. It's it's genuine and it's beautiful. Uh, Let me say this before I get started. We'll get into the scripture, but is my sincere opinion that we should all have a Paul in our life and a Timothy? What I mean by that, we should all have a a mentor or discipler that is pouring into our life and we should have maybe a faithful disciple that we can pour into. Have you, uh, I guess the analogy I'd use is, is a pond of water. In order for that to be fresh, it needs to have an inflow and an outflow. If water's not moving, it gets stagnant and it's really no good. Uh, I think spiritually it works the same way. If the Lord Jesus Christ is pouring into your life, you should have an outflow for that. Two things are achieved. Certainly spiritual health. You grow in Christ. When you give away, he gives. And also it builds your faith. You get to see dear brothers like Tevis and others growing in the Lord. You want to talk about growing your faith? You got a 50-yard line seat for the Lord working. And you're invested. And it, you, you will not regret a second of that that you invest. Um, a little background. I always like to give a little bit of background before I get into the word. Second Timothy, it's intense. Second Timothy is basically Paul's swan song. This is his last communication. Uh, he's imprisoned at the hands of Caesar Nero. He's about to have his head separated from his shoulders. That'll happen about in uh, AD 67. And I think what makes it different, a lot of you guys, you Bible students, know that Paul did pen a few, we call them prison epistles or letters that he wrote from prison. What makes this difference? And for instance, I think First uh, Timothy, for instance, Paul wrote that when he was in a rented villa. Uh, he had a house that uh, they let him stay in. Basically, our equivalent would be house arrest, you know, wearing the anklet or whatnot. But 1 Timothy was written in an atmosphere where Paul had a certain degree of comfort, 
a certain degree of freedom. Yeah, there were jailers there, but they kind of let people come and go, and he could come and go a little bit. So it's a, a little different tone. Some of you know this, but uh, I'll tell you, where he's writing from now, the dreaded Mamertine prison in Rome. This is no joke. The Mamertine, do, do a little background. Google the Mamertine. This is um, basically, I'd call it a barbaric holding cell for those that are about to be executed. If you got sentenced to the Mamertine, you probably weren't coming back. There were exceptions, but you probably weren't coming back. And at that time, what the Mamertine was, if you take a cavern in the ground, about a third as big as this tent, they dug a hole in the ground, and all they left was about a five-foot round opening on top that was covered with iron bars. That was the only inflow of air or light. It was nasty. And, I mean, for Paul to eat, he had to rely on the kindness of visitors or friends. See, the Roman jailers were not required to feed you. It wasn't like, you know, today, three hots and a cot. It wasn't that at all. You had to rely on other people to be kind, to throw you some food or what, whatever. It was just nasty. Uh, a few years ago, I had the privilege of going to Rome with my dear friend Leo, and I visited the Mammer team. And believe me, it just being there, I mean, it, it's, not, it's not a place you want to be. It was bad. This is where Paul is penning 2 Timothy from. Paul knew, Paul knew, and no in certain terms he's going to die. He's going to die. So he obviously focuses his attention on Timothy. Let me ask you guys this. How many of you have got, I think it's a privilege, to maybe be beside someone on their deathbed? or they don't have long to live at all. Yeah, it's a different thing, isn't it? I'll tell you what, they, they don't waste a lot of words. They're not talking about their favorite TV show or their golf game. That, that's not happening. What they're speaking about is the most important things on their heart that they're gonna pass on to whoever's there. And that's what Paul's doing right now. Paul speaks about what is on his heart, the most important thing. And he's sharing his heart with his beloved Timothy. And, and he's asking Timothy to protect the gospel, to pass it on. This is the thrust of 2 Timothy. We're going to open the word right now. Let me just pray before we do. Father, I just thank you for this morning already. I thank you for the work you're doing in Tevis's life and many others. So, Lord, as we open this word, would you speak, Lord God? I pray the presence of the Spirit is so heavy here, Lord God, that we cannot help but be obedient and learn. I pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, 2 Timothy, the thrust of my message will be in chapter 2, where I'd like to start is chapter 1, verse 14. And, and verse 14, the whole book of 2 Timothy can be condensed in this one verse. Listen to this. this. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So there it is. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Timothy's to guard this. 
this spiritual truth that Paul has passed on to him. He's to pass on this wisdom with everything he has. And let me say this, it hasn't been easy for Paul. Let me just read the next couple verses, 15 through 18, and you'll get a, an idea of what I'm talking about. Verse 15 says this, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know, you know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So I think Onesiphorus was one of the ones that probably tended to Paul while he was in the Mamre team. But I guess I say this to say this, you can see that it wasn't easy. Uh, these so-called brothers, fellow Christians that with Paul, they deserted him. They just took off, it got tough, they deserted him. But the Lord sent this dear brother Onesiphorus and, and he refreshed him in this time of need. And the reason I wanted to start there is because I think with us, it's pretty much the same way. I know a lot of us have been in ministry and we've had people bail on us and it hurts, it really does. But God is so faithful and he sends people to refresh us and take their place. Look for that. If you're in ministry, it absolutely is happening. Um, let's do this. What I wanna do, again, the main thrust of, of my sermon is in chapter two. What I'd like to do is read chapter two, verse one through seven. Then I wanna just break it apart verse by verse. I won't be long, but I think it's important that we don't just take this 30,000 foot view. There's some good stuff here. Chapter two, verse one says this. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Yes and amen. So we notice in verse one where Paul says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Just the sheer fact, and this makes sense, it tells me that there's a commitment and a cost to discipleship. There's definitely a cost, or Paul wouldn't have told Timothy to be strong. If it was easy, no problem. No, Timothy, you need to be strong. You need to make this commitment. Um, I was speaking with Mike, uh, Mike Walliser, when was it? It was a Monday or Tuesday about discipleship and his sermon and whatnot, and he asked me a question that really caused me to think and kind of change the trajectory of, of what I was going to preach on. And he said, hey, Jeff, he goes, uh, what do you think discipleship looks like to the church at large? Maybe those that don't come often or maybe those that 
don't come to church, and you mentioned discipleship. What do you think that looks like? And it really got me to thinking. I don't know if Mike's still here, but Mike, that was a great question. It really got the wheels turning. And I guess at the risk of oversimplifying it, you know, I, I wrote this down. In simple terms, if you were to look at this relationship, you'd see the person doing the discipling or the discipler, I think you'd see him getting in the word quite often. I think you'd see him preparing materials for his disciple. I think you'd see him praying diligently for the men or women that he meets with. And this all, can I underline it, takes time and effort, time and effort. Now on the flip side, the disciple or the one receiving the discipleship, I think if you were a fly on the wall, you, you know, you'd see this person studying the material he's been given, maybe getting up early in the morning, getting in the word, no doubt, and maybe praying that God would give him that wisdom, let him understand that gospel deposit. Again, can I emphasize this takes time and effort on both sides, time and effort. And obviously you would see them getting together and sharing what the Lord is doing in their life, what the Lord is showing them, spending time, critical, spending time. There's no shortcut. You spend time. Um, however, can I say this? In my opinion, this is where Christian growth and maturity take root. This is why Paul was everything. He knew that is where it's happening. Again, and, and some of you know this, the time and effort element, I think it, it can discourage those on both sides. I've seen disciples quit. It just takes too much. I've seen disciples walk away. It just takes too much. Time and effort. And you know this very well. When you say yes to something, you're automatically saying no to something else. So when you say yes to spending this time and effort, you've got to say no to a few things. And sometimes risk for verse reward, it doesn't pan out. And I get that. I'm just saying there is definitely a time and effort commitment there. But let me get back to verse one. I think it's important for us to point out here that Paul just doesn't say to Timothy, hey, bro, be strong. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be tough, be strong. What does he say? He says, be strong uh, in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Be strong in the grace. Strong in the grace. What the heck does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what. Our ability to do what the Lord Jesus Christ asks us to do is predicated on the infusion of grace from the Lord. Straight and simple. God, through the Holy Spirit, infuses us with this grace. And Paul knew this. He's telling Timothy, be strong in this grace. And see, the thing is, if you feel, and I know a lot of you feel that, if you feel the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ resting on you, it is a supernatural thing. There's no two ways about it. There's no substitute. It is a supernatural thing. Uh, it absolutely allows you to do things you wouldn't normally be able to do, this infusion of grace. Now, it's interesting, I want to point this out. In the Greek, that 
phrase, that sentence to be strong in the grace, it's what we call a present passive. And all that means, it, it can be translated like this. Keep on being strong. Paul's saying, keep on, he's saying, keep on being strong, Timothy. Well, what does that tell you? It tells us something very important. In that present passive, it means that this grace that Paul's talking about was given to Timothy the second he accepted Jesus. Keep on being strong in the grace that you received when you came to Jesus. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? It's the same for us. We have the grace. We have the grace. It's, the problem is, the difficulty is, the barrier is that we fail to exercise the grace we already have. We fail to exercise it. God's a gentleman. He's not going to force you. But we fail to exercise the grace that we already have. Uh, that is a terrible waste, my friends. That is a terrible waste. You have a valuable tool, life-giving tool. And unless you use it, it doesn't get stronger. Unless you use it, you don't get more grace from the Lord. And I just draw your attention to that. Um, the, the fact that Paul exhorts Timothy and says, Timothy, be strong in the grace. I can almost picture him saying this to Timothy. You know, Paul knew that there was no situation that Timothy would come up against that God's grace would not be enough to get him through. That grace is enough to get you through anything. There's nothing that Timothy could not handle outside of the grace of God. And for us today, I wanna to exhort all of us, if God is guiding you to do something in grace, take the step, take the step. Where God guides, he provides in no uncertain terms. He will provide for you. But he might wait for you to take the step in the Jordan before he parts it, all right? Take the step, he's, he's gonna take care of you. Verse two says exactly this. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be able to teach others. This is the epitome of discipleship. Men and women hear what is being said they're in the company of that discipler, the man or woman that's discipling them. And they can repeat that. They know it. They feel it. And again, I want to draw grammatically a point here because I think Paul is, is really drawing our attention to something. The word entrust is used, isn't it? It says, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men. Remember where I started in chapter 1, verse 14? It said, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. So what's going on here? Verse two, Paul is telling Timothy to entrust this deposit to reliable men. What Paul has been entrusted with, Timothy, now you entrust this. What does this point us to? I believe it points us to the hope of discipleship. The hope of discipleship is there will be this living chain of men and women to go through the centuries. Our next generation, our, our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, we need this living chain or things stop. This is the way that the Holy Spirit is guiding us. Um, 
And, and this goes without saying, but I'm gonna say it anyway. First, we must understand, we must believe and uphold the gospel that's been implanted in us. Very first thing, we must do that. We must believe it. We must uphold it. We must understand it. And that takes time. But then we must entrust it. We must give it away to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others in no uncertain terms. You see, as much as I like preaching, can I say that preaching to people isn't enough? As great as it is, it isn't enough. We must carefully walk beside them, with them, and instruct them, and show them. Again, that takes time. However, however, it, I believe it's not only our God-given task. If I read throughout scripture, it's not a suggestion. We should be doing this. However, it should also be our supreme joy. There's joy here without question. Let's keep moving. Verse three through seven, and we'll get through this thing. Verse three says this, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Paul is brilliant. He paints the perfect word picture or analogy for discipleship. We have a soldier, we have an athlete, and we have a farmer. What I'm gonna attempt to do is illustrate these things with, I, I call them the three Ds, the three Ds of discipleship. Devotion, discipline, and diligence. The devotion of the soldier, the discipline of the athlete, and the diligence of the farmer. First, devotion. Paul says, hey, listen, endure hardship like a good soldier. A soldier goes through a good bit of suffering while he's in boot camp. Let me assure you of that. In fact, I, I looked this up and the dropout rate for those that are getting into the military and in boot camp, it's 25%. They have a 25% attrition rate. That is huge. That is huge. You know why? Because it's difficult. You go into something like that training, you are gonna endure things you never bargained for. You never bargained for. And personally, I'm gonna use me as the negative example of this. Uh, I remember almost quitting the Sheriff's Department Academy in the first week. Uh, <laughs> had it not been for a very intense conversation that my wife had with me, I'd be in Orange County right now, <laughs> I guarantee. But it was radical. It was hard. Uh, the mental abuse was much worse than the physical. I could sit up here and give you all these illustrations, but it doesn't match the text. I'm not gonna go there. But if some of you wanna buy me a cup of coffee next week, I'll, I'll tell you some stories. It was, uh, it, it was gnarly. But in any case, I think you see the similarities are obvious, right? Between suffering, going through things, and what it takes to disciple. Um, when, when you go into service, either as a soldier in the military or as a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you're going to come into contact with experiences and, and, and it's not going to match your expectation. Can I say this? You're going to go into that with preconceived notions and it's, it's not going to fit with what it actually is going to entail. You need to be able to put aside these notions. You need to be able to submit to the direction, the instruction of your master slash teacher, your commanding officer. In this realm, as Christians, soldiers need to submit to the master, which is Jesus. We need to leave, in my opinion, we need to absolutely leave our old way of life and these old expectations. We need to leave them. Paul says this very succinctly in Philippians 3. Here's what he says. Listen, it's perfect. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Paul's saying we must put that aside and strain forward. But here's the wonderful thing, and you can take this to the bank. This is beautiful. If you are following the Lord and serving him and being obedient to him according to his will, he will appoint you to your next position in life. Did you hear me? He will appoint you to your next position in life. This is, I mean, obviously I never planned to be a pastor. I didn't want to be, but I'm so grateful that God put me there. The deal is the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you really need. He knows exactly what will bring you fulfillment better than you do, way better than you do. You're gonna trust him with it? Do it, it's a good bet, it's a good bet. Paul tells Timothy, don't get involved in civilian affairs. And basically that's analogous. Don't get tangled up in the world's mess. The world will look to distract you. The world will look to derail you. Paul's saying, don't do it. Uh, the world will absolutely take you in places if, if you listen to this siren song of the world. And that's why Romans 12.2 should really be on our lips. Romans 12.2. Do not conform, any of us, Timothy, any of us, any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Leave the world, let Christ transform your mind and see where you go. You see where you go. Take a few folks with you too. It's a good ride. Uh, if, if, if we look at this in context, I don't think there's a doubt in anyone's mind that we can see that a soldier needs to be devoted to his commanding officer. Okay, we kind of get that one. Let me move to the second D, discipline, the discipline of this athlete. Let's look at verse five. It talks about the athlete. It says this, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Absolutely. You see, at this time when Paul's writing this, he knew very well how the Olympic Games, the original Olympic Games were held. And an interesting little fact here is that if you wanted to be an athlete and compete in the Olympic Games of that time, you had to go through a 10-month training period 
and swear an oath that you had completed it just to compete. Those were the rules. Those are the rules of the Olympic game. And a lot of scholars believe that's exactly what Paul is talking about when he says, according to the rules. It's a commitment. It's a big deal. You sunk your life into it. Now, let me say this, because I've, I've had this conversation with people. In verse five, some read this and say, oh, the rules, Paul is subscribing or preaching a particular form of legalism. Wrong. He absolutely is not. Listen to this. Paul knew very well, as I'm sure all of you know, that God gives freedom first, and then he gives boundaries. God always gives freedom first and then boundaries. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were freed from Egyptian bondage before the boundaries of the Ten Commandments, weren't they? God frees you and then shows you how to live. In the New Testament, we, we've been provided freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ from the Ten Commandments but he still gives us the boundaries. No more 10 command, but we certainly have boundaries. These are the rules of the game, if you will. And let me say this, and people have argued with me about this, but I'm gonna stand really, really firm on this. You can only, listen, you can only live life to the fullest if you have certain boundaries that keep you from hurting yourself. You need the boundaries to live life to the fullest. Listen, God doesn't give us these boundaries because he's a killjoy. He wants to spoil our fun. Quite the opposite. He wants us to live life to the fullest. Let me give you this analogy. It's not perfect, but I think you'll get where I'm going with this. You know, let's, let's say this family they buy this house, but there's just a front yard. It's a big front yard. It's a nice front yard. You know, I have three or four kids. Kids love playing in the front yard. The only bummer is there's a highway running right in front of the place, full-on highway. Kids love to play out there and, and horse around, but you know what? You need a fence around the front yard so the kids can go at it with everything so they don't run into that highway and get mowed over by a car. They can run without thinking. They can live. They can play. They don't have to worry about stumbling in the street because there's boundaries. We need to have boundaries in our life to keep us from going to places that God doesn't want us to go to. Wants us to have the full life, but we need the boundaries. So verse six, I'm gonna cover the last or the third D, diligence. The diligence of the farmer. Follow me on this, verse six, it says this. The hardworking farmers should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Well, let me say this. Most discipleship, like farming, is not glamorous. Not at all, not at all. A farmer has to sow the seed, right? He has to water it every day. He has to care for the soil in good weather, in bad weather, getting up early. No one's applauding him. He does this day in and day out, all the while not seeing a lot of progress. Field looks the same. For months, it looks the same. It's very easy to give up. It's very easy. It takes diligence. The farmer needs diligence. We need diligence to keep after it. But then one day, 
you see the little sproutlings starting to come up and it turns into a crop that produces fruit, oh, the farmer gets to enjoy a share of that crop first. It is wonderful. It takes diligence. Again, the analogies, I, I won't bore you. The analogies are right there, obvious, that the rewards of discipleship outweigh the toil. It absolutely does. And for, for the discipler to see the Christian growth and maturity, oh my gosh, it makes it all worth it. However, let me draw you back to Paul. I think when Paul used this farmer illustration, he had the words of the Lord Jesus Christ echoing in his ear from Matthew 9. Remember when our Lord said this, and I think it's really analogous to discipleship. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. I wonder if the Lord's not asking us right now to enter the harvest field. We need to do it. Verse seven, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Paul's asking Timothy, same way I'm asking you right now, to reflect on this. I think the Lord gave Timothy direction, and I'm trusting right now that through the Spirit, the Lord will be giving you direction on what we should do, on what I should do. I think God is asking us to join into this joint venture with him, to go into the field, to harvest the crop. So in closing, we've had the devotion of the soldier, haven't we? We've had the discipline of the athlete. We've had the diligence of the farmer. This is all to guard this beautiful gospel deposit for the next generation and the generation after that. We must, this gospel deposit, let me say this, we must never forget that Christ, here's the gospel deposit, that Christ being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or forcibly retained, but he made himself nothing and took the form of a bondservant. Even in human likeness, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, the worst death ever. Why? Here we go. So we could share eternity with God as opposed to outer darkness and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. He did it all for us. That is the gospel deposit. I'll ask right now, if you have not made that decision to make it today, take advantage of Jesus offering for you to exchange your sinful life for his sinless life. If you have not done that, I'll give you a chance when we pray today, but think about this in the quietness of your own heart. This is the gospel deposit. This is where he wants you to start. Now, as I close, I'm gonna give you a few comforting words uh, that I think are quite true. I was doing this devotional and I put it on my whiteboard. But as we close, listen to this, because I know some of us are going through tough times right now. No doubt about it. As I look out, a lot of us are going through tough times, but the Lord wants to minister to you through these words. Listen to this. Jesus Christ is not our security against the storms in life, but he is our perfect security in the storms of life. 
He has never promised us an easy passage, only a safe landing. He has never promised us an easy passage, only a safe landing. And I promise you, he will do that for you. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you promise us a safe landing. And now even as, Lord, your word is being exposited, I pray that your spirit has landed on a few folks that might not have exchanged their sinful lives for your sinless life. And if you're one of those people, I ask in the quietness of your own heart, would you ask Jesus for that gift? Would you ask him to come into your heart? Would you ask him to take your old life and renew it? Lord Jesus, answer that prayer, Lord God. Make yourself known, Father. I just have a sense that there are folks that are doing that right now. And Lord, for the rest of us, I really pray, Lord, Father, you never give us more than we can handle. Where your grace goes, you provide for us in such a wonderful way. Would you encourage some of us that might have been thinking about this to take that next step and maybe find a brother or sister that they can meet with every week to share? And Lord, I pray that, that you would just fan that relationship to full flame and that result would be fruit for not only this generation, but the next generation. And I pray this in your heavenly and holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.